afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in worship our triune God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here and to all those who have joined us by the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Savior Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of Him. Consistory of the following announcement. As the free from Church of Southern River, we have extended a call to candidate Tim Slaar for the purpose of mission work in TNG. And this afternoon, the worship service will be led by Brother Plato. And before we commence the worship service, let us sing together hymn 13, verse 1 and 2. <coughs> Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Please rise if you're able to worship the Lord. As we come as the gathered people of God, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And God greets you this afternoon. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us continue our worship and let us praise God for he is our fortress and refuge and we'll do so with the words of Psalm 46 verses 1 and 2.
In Romans 10 verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Well then, congregation, let us confess our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith, and we'll do so with the words of him, him one. now come before the Lord our God and ask for his blessing on this worship service. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we praise you for who you are. For Lord, you are eternal. You are incomprehensible. You are invisible. You're unchanging. You're immutable. You're infinite. You're almighty and powerful You are the perfectly wise God. You are just and good, as we heard your word proclaimed this morning. And you are the overflowing fountain of all good. And Father, we praise you for this. We acknowledge that your greatness is beyond all understanding. Lord, we cannot put you into a box. We cannot put you under a microscope and figure you out. Because you are incomprehensible. You are so great. We cannot fully grasp you in our minds. Your judgments are unsearchable. Your ways inscrutable. Your ways are greater than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Lord, who has has given you wisdom? Who has counseled your mind? Lord, no one. And yet, Father, we, we marvel that even though you're incomprehensible, that you make yourself known to us. Lord, we marvel at this and we praise you for it because we acknowledge that if you didn't, then we wouldn't have a relationship with you. We wouldn't be able to be in relationship with you. And so, Lord, we praise you for making yourself known. You make yourself known in the the world that we see around us, in the beautiful creation. They are as letters on a page of a beautiful book that point to your great and awesome power. They point to you, our creator. And, Father, we also praise you for your word. Lord, this is the reason why we're gathered around, uh, gathered together as church for a second time. It's to come together around your word and hear it proclaimed and to worship you using the words of the Psalms to praise you and the hymns and the spiritual songs. And Father, we praise you that you reveal yourself to us in your word so that we can come to an understanding, that we can have the greatest thing in the world, which is to know you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would please bless the preaching of your word this afternoon. We We pray that you would bless it as it is also summarized in the confessions that we have. Thank you for that. Thank you for the the men and women of faith who went before us. We praise you for these documents. And Lord, we ask that you would bless bless us as as we see your truth summarized in them. 
And Father, that's one of the beautiful things that we, we acknowledge, that even though you're invisible, you're a God who, who makes yourself known. You make yourself visible to us. And so we pray as your word goes forth, help us to see Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, he took flesh. He took, his, took our flesh upon himself. He became bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh. He became a man whom people could see, whom people could hear, whom people could touch. And Lord, we thank you for this. And we thank you that in him we, we see who you really are. We see your power, your wisdom, your righteousness, your holiness, your truth, and your love. And so we pray that as your word is proclaimed, that Christ may be crucified before us, that we would see him, our Savior. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This afternoon, we'll be looking at what the, the confession has summarized for us in Lord's Day 10. And one of the statements that comes up in Lord's Day 10 is that because of the providence of God that we can bear up under adversity, we can be patient in adversity. And Psalm 46 really uh, speaks to this. It speaks about why we can be patient in adversity. And so let's read Psalm 46 together. And it will be the, the lens through which we see the Lord's Day. Psalm 46, hear now the word of the Lord. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Silah. Let's now sing in response the rest of that psalm. Psalm 46 verse 3, 4 and 5.
So this afternoon I'll preach the gospel as it's summarized for us in our confessional reading, which is Lord's Day 10. Lord's Day 10 says, what do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love, for all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. So far, after the preaching of the gospel, we'll sing from hymn 53 verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, dearly loved by our Lord Jesus Christ, this week I came across a, a meme. Now, a meme is a, is a photo that has a caption with it, and it often communicates an idea. It can be something funny, it can be something that's sort of politically driven, it can be sarcastic in tone, and normally you don't explain memes, but here goes. Now, picture this in your mind. So in the foreground of this picture, there is a farmer, he's tending his field. And then in the background, picture this billowing uh, smoke of a great fire. So in the foreground, there is a farmer, he's tending his field. In the background, there is this billowing, uh, billowing smoke. Now in the caption in the smoke, it says, the world right now. In the caption underneath the farmer, it says... Me trying to tend my garden, trying to stay sane. So pictures, the world is out of control. It's this big fire, it's billowing smoke. And the person says, and here's me trying to do my little bit, trying to stay sane in the midst of that. Try not to be consumed by fear, try not to be consumed by anxiety and worry. The thing is, there's, a lots, there's lots to worry about. If you look at the world, there's many things that are very concerning for us. Think of the tensions, if you want to think politically, think of the tensions that are there in the South China Sea. Think of the pressure that the Chinese government is putting on in independent states like Hong Kong. And so we worry about that. What's the effect of that? Or we think of the ongoing war in, in the Ukraine. We wonder what the UN response is going to be. We wonder how that's going to work out. And then you think of the population crisis that are there. You can, you can think of all these different things. Or you can think locally. We just have a new uh, premier, Roger Cook. And so what is he going to be like? And then there's the cultural wars that are raging around us about sexuality. You think of there's libraries in WA that are having story hour with drag queens. Or you hear of legislation about conversion therapy and all the rest. And we wonder about how that affects the church. There's lots that we can worry about. There's lots of things that fill us with fear. And the examples just can, can go on. And so we see a world billowing in smoke. We see a world kind of out of control. And yet the chaos isn't just out there, out in the world. We also acknowledge that sometimes life for us here is, is chaotic. You feel the stress at work. It's so busy. There's this constant pressure, job after job. If one job doesn't work out, it seems like it's going to be this domino effect on the rest of your, of your week. And you think of parents parenting young children and the mess and the crying and all that, all the toddler years. Or you think of the intensity of exams that just happened and how busy that was. Or you think of those who are dealing with medical situations, all the appointments, all the doctor referrals, all the hospital visits. And then you see on top of that, then you have our personal struggles, the things that we're, we're, we're dealing with, whether it's wrestling with maybe depression or anxiety or, or other difficult things. And you see, it seems that 
this world is very chaotic. Our lives are chaotic. And you see, it's in this context that the church of Jesus Christ confesses the providence of God, that God is in control of this world and that he is upholding and that he is governing this world by his fatherly hand, that he, he reigns supreme. As it says there in Lord's Day 9, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it says, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence. That God is in control. And this is really the, the environment or the context of Psalm 46. It's looking to the God who upholds all things, the one who is in control. And it's a hymn of confidence, a hymn of confidence that regardless of what is unraveling in the world around us, that we can stand firm, and that we can have great confidence because God, the Lord of hosts, reigns supreme, that he is God. And so I preach the word of God to you under this theme, in the chaos of life, know that the Lord of hosts, that he is God. And we'll look at three things. First, we'll look at his protection, how his protection allays our fears, allays our anxieties. We'll see how his presence fortifies our faith. And finally, we'll see how his power commands our calm. So firstly, we'll look at how his protection allays our anxiety, how it calms our fears. Now, in Lord's Day 10, we have those very poetic words. It speaks about how God, he governs the world. He governs it so that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us, not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. And so see how most of those statements are a contrast. A contrast between good years and a contrast between bad years. Contrast between you know, times of prosperity, between times of adversity. So rain, drought, fruitful, barren years, health, sickness, riches, and poverty. And you see, it's in those times of adversity that the psalmist in Psalm 46 focuses on. He looks at a time where there's just great chaos And so we can ask the question, you know, how can we patiently endure? How can we be patient in adversity? How can we we have a view to the future? How can we look and have confidence? Well, that's what Psalm 46 is all about. It tells us that we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And so here the sons of Korah, they picture this this cataclysmic event. Think of order just being swallowed up by chaos. Think of, of, you could say, the decreation of creation itself. So in Genesis 1, you have the account of how God created the world. And it says there in Genesis 1 that on the third day, what did God do? He separated the waters from the dry land. He created a separation between them. So Genesis 1 verse 9 and 10 says, there God says, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was, it was good. And so God created a separation there between the waters and the land so that life could exist, so that life could flourish. And then this God, he continues to uphold that separation. You see, for us, when we think of the sea or we think of the beach, it's a very positive image in our minds. But in the Bible, the, the sea is often pictured as this, as this raging, untamable force. This void of, of darkness that, could, that tries to, to break the boundary that God has set in place. So you see that in Psalm 104. Psalm 104, it goes through uh, creation very poetically, and it speaks about God's sovereignty over it. And there the psalmist, in in verse 6 and 9, he says, he says this about God. He says, you covered it, that is the earth, with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. And then it says, at your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. And it says, you set a boundary that they may, they may not pass, so that they might not cover the earth. 
And the prophet Jeremiah, he uses this as an example, as a reason to fear the Lord of hosts. In Jeremiah, God says to his people, Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? He says, I place the sand as a boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. The waves toss, they cannot pass over it. Jeremiah 5 verse 22. And congregation, just think of of the times that you were at the beach. Isn't that the case? You look at the shore, you look at the water, it comes up and it moves back. It comes up and it moves back. It seems like it's going to push forward, but it always returns because God maintains the boundary there. Well, the psalmist says, well, imagine that didn't happen. Imagine the sea went past its barriers. Imagine the earth just shaking beneath your feet and looking up and see the, the hills that you thought were so dependable, so, um, so immovable, crumbling into the ocean. Imagine standing and seeing this great wall of water crumbling, uh, cr- uh, crushing you. And imagine the whole earth being consumed by water returning to its chaotic state before creation. That's what the psalmist is picturing here. He's picturing this this picture of utter terror and fear. And what he's doing, he's tapping into one of the most basic fears that was there in Israel. There was a phobia then, a phobia of the sea, you could say. And more specifically, of the the chaos that, that seemed looming in the sea and that seemed to threaten life at every moment. And so what the psalmist is doing, he's saying, think of all the reliables in your life, what you think are reliables in your life. Think of your work, your family, your relationships, your your health. Think of all those things that you think are reliable, dissolving into the air. Even more than that, think of the very fabric of existence being pulled from underneath you. That's what the psalmist is picturing here. And he says, how does... How does the believer in God respond when that happens? It says there, even though the mountains plunge into the heart of the sea, the psalmist, he confidently and he defiantly says, we will not fear. We will not fear. Well, how could he say such a thing? How could someone believe such a thing? Imagine that. Imagine you're standing before a tsunami And then saying, we will not fear. How can we do that? Well, the answer, brothers and sisters, is given in the previous verse, in verse 1. The psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We do not fear because we look at the situation and we can face it in our own strength. We do not fear because we are so strong. No, we don't fear because of God. Because of the protection of our sovereign God. He says that the God who made heaven and earth, the God who sets the boundary of the sea, if that God is your refuge, the psalmist says, then you are secure. And therefore you don't need to fear anything. For he is your safety. When everything else falls and crumbles before you, God is there and he protects you. He will be your shelter from the stormy blast, your strength. You see, that that image of of a shelter is really beautiful. And the psalmist in Psalm 91, he taps into that imagery and he expands on that. So the psalmist, he says there, if you go to Psalm 91, The psalmist in Psalm 91, he speaks about that image of God being a shelter for his people. So in Psalm 91 verse 1, it says there, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And then go to verse 4. It says, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and buckler. So it says there, he will cover you with his pinions. He will cover you, the picture is of a mother hen covering her chicks with her feathers. He will cover you with his feathers. 
And there under his wings you will find peace. You see, it's a very tender image. It's one of refuge. It's one of safety. And so the reason that we don't need to fear is because the God who upholds heaven and earth, the the one who maintains the boundary of the sea and the land, he is the one who covers us with his wings, who overshadows us. And if we are abiding in the shelter of the Most High, the psalmist says, you need not fear anything because he protects you. It's as if that you look between the peepholes of the feathers of your almighty God and that's where you see everything happen. You are safe. You are secure. And brothers and sisters, we can say this with with even more confidence than the psalmist in Psalm 46 could ever. You see, because of Christ, our future is secure. It is firm. It is sure. When everything reliable, when everything dependable in the world falls away, there's one thing that remains for us. And that is the love of God in Christ Jesus. Think of Romans 8 where it says, Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. You see, it was because Christ, he faced the worst thing imaginable. Think of our Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says there that he feared greatly. Matthew 26, verse 37 to 38, it says that he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And the word troubled is an intense, an intense feeling. It's almost a violent word. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Watch with me. Why? It's because the waters, not just the waters of the ocean, We're going to overpower him. But rather, it was the cup of God's wrath that he would have to drink the dregs of that wrath in our place. You see, Christ, he died for us. He faced the worst thing imaginable. And he did that without the refuge of his God, without the shelter of his God. And he did that so that our future is secure. That God would be our refuge. That God would be our safety. And therefore, because of Christ, we can, we can have that same defiant confidence. We can have confidence in our faithful God that nothing in the world can separate us from his love. Therefore, we will not fear. So congregation, do you believe that? Do you believe that God will protect you when your fears threaten to consume you? Do you, do you run to Him? Do you run to Him as your safety, your only place of security? Or do you see Him as simply the one who puts trials into your life and who leaves you to face them on your own? Because if so, the psalmist would disagree. The psalmist says that the people of God need not fear not only because God is their protection, not only because God is their refuge, But also, as we see in our second point, because God is their ever-present help. Because God is with them. So verse 1 says that God is a very present help in times of trouble. A very present help. Now sometimes, congregation, we can experience great pain precisely because someone who said that they would be there for us wasn't. They said they would be with us, and they weren't with us. They weren't present with us. They said that they would help us when we were at our worst, but they weren't there for us. Sometimes does it, does it seem like God is like that? He says he's going to be with you, but he's not actually there. Because once again, the psalmist here, he says, that's not the God of the Bible. Jeremiah 23, verse 23, it says, God says to his people, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? God is saying to his people, I'm not a God who's aloof, who stands far above you, from, far from your suffering. I'm not a God who, who sits in an ivory tower and is far away from you. I'm a God who is near. He is present. And you can sense that closeness in, in Lord's Day 10. We don't confess that God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby as from an armchair or from an office high above, He governs the earth. 
No, we confess that God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby as with his hand he upholds us. And so that nothing comes to us by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Well, that's not a picture of distance. That's a picture of intimate closeness, close fellowship. You see, it's the difference of a father parenting from an office and a father who rolls up his sleeves and gets into it, who's there in the mess. That is the picture. God, as it were, you could say he rules everything, not far distantly removed, but with his, his sleeves rolled up as with his fatherly hand. And you see, that's the reason why we can bear up under adversity, because we don't go through it alone. That's what the psalmist says in in verses 4 through 6. He says there in verse 4, There is a a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So he says, when the nations rage, when the nations come before him, It's because God is in the midst of his people that they're not going to be moved, that nothing is going to move them from their place or station. You see, there the strength of God's people, it doesn't doesn't lie in the strength of the city, doesn't lie in the strength of the people, but in God. You see, Jerusalem was a very fortified city. If you read 2 Samuel 5, you read about how David took the city. And one of the things that the inhabitants said, they kind of gloated they kind of boasted to David. They said there in 2 Samuel 5, verse 5, they said in defiance, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking to themselves, David cannot come in, come here. So it was a strong city. They thought it was so strong, they could, just, they could post lime, the, the lame and the blind people on the wall and no one would get in. See, it was a strong city, and yet... David did get in. The armies overtook the city. It was a city that could be overthrown by the enemies, by the rage of the nations around them. And that's what you see later on in Israel's history. That's what the exile was all about. You see, ultimately, brothers and sisters, the the strength wasn't in the city. It wasn't in its people, but the strength was in the God who was present with his people. Jerusalem was a fortress because it was the city of God. So it says there, God dwelt with his people. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. And then it speaks about the holy habitation of the Most High. Congregation, the holy habitation of the Most High, that's, that's the temple. It's speaking about Zion, but specifically the temple that was there in Jerusalem. And what was the temple? It was the, it was the symbol of God's presence with his people. The Israel looked at the temple and they could know that God was in their midst, that he was with them. And this is what they saw when the glory cloud came and it went above the temple. God was in the city. God was with them. It was his presence that made him strong. You see, the Lord of hosts, literally the Lord of the armies, is with us, the God of Jacob. He is the fortress. And so that means that the people could have great faith. They could have great faith and no matter what was, was out there before them, as they see the billowing smoke, they could have great faith because God was with them. He was present with his people. All God had to do was say the word and the nations melted. The earth melted. And that's what we, you see. If you think of Israel's history, Think of the time of uh, King Hezekiah. It's a situation where the nations raged. And there you see the strength of God, the strength of the city in God who was present with them. And so if you think back to that situation, you have the, the great king Zennacherib. He was an Assyrian king. And as he's moving through, he's destroying nation after nation, gaining victory after victory. And so this, this great nation comes before Israel, and it, it seems as though they're, they're not going to stand. And if you recall, King Zennacherib, he sends a messenger who says, look, just fold, because you're nothing before us. Your God is not going to save you. Just think of all those other gods that we destroyed. And then Hezekiah, 
He doesn't look at the fortifications of the wall and say, it's okay, we're going we're gonna to hang in there and, and be fine. He doesn't look at the strength of his army. But rather, he has great faith in God. He knows that God was present with his people. And so he goes to the Lord in prayer, and he earnestly prays to the Lord for safety. And what happens? God, who is present with his people, he speaks the word, and the enemy is flattened. They have to leave. Think of two, uh, so 2 Kings 19, verse 35. It tells us of what happened. So Hezekiah, he prays to God. And then we read that the angel of the Lord by night went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. So the Assyrians woke up to a bunch of dead bodies. And what happens? They leave. They hightail out of there. Because God was with his people and he protected them. And so his people could have great faith because God was in their midst. He was present with them. And you see, the reason for God's presence with his people, it lies in that curious phrase of verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Now it's curious because as far as rivers go, Jerusalem didn't have a river. That was one of the drawbacks of the city. It didn't have a natural water source in the city itself. They had to divert water to get in. And so the statement, it's, it's not a, a physical statement talking about a physical river, but it's figurative. And this, this figurative water source, we read that it flows from the holy habitation of God. And so what is the psalmist saying? Well, in one way, you could say that the psalmist is saying that God is a source of Israel's strength. And so the stream is a picture of the strength of the people. If you think of a people that is under siege, well, they can only last so long as their water lasts. And yet we can go further with that. Because if you think of where is this river coming from, it's coming from the holy habitation of God. It's coming from the temple. And it was at the temple every day that sacrifices were being made for the sins of the people. It was at the temple where God's priests were busy in their atoning work for the people of God. And so there was, there was blood that streamed from the sacrifices there in the temple. And it was a continual testimony to the people of God that God was present with his people, not because they were particularly worthy, because they were a special people above all the other nations around. No, it was a testimony that God was with his people because of the atoning sacrifice, the provision of a substitute for his people. See, the holy God dwelt with an unholy people because he made a way of forgiveness so that he could be with them. That's what the sacrifices were all about. And see, congregation, God is present with you in the chaos of your life. Not because of your worthiness, not because of how special you are opposed to other people. But God is with you because of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Because of the work of forgiveness that he has wrought through suffering on the cross for our sins. And that means, because of that, a holy God dwells with you and me, an unholy people. And he provides, he covers our sins. And he forgives us. And so he is with us. You see, that's the amazing beauty, is that the God who forsook Jesus... On the cross, he never forsakes us. He's present with us. And profoundly so because of the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ ascended on high and from there he pours out his spirit in our hearts so that God is with you. That is what we confess in one of the Lord's days. It says that it's one of the beauties of Christ's uh, two natures. That in respect to his human nature, he's no longer present with us. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. So that means we can bear up under adversity because no matter what we're going through, we can say, the Lord of hosts is with me. The God of Jacob is my fortress. And so we can have great faith in God because he is present with us. And one of the things that this, bring, that this leads to in our lives is, is stillness and quietness. And that brings us to our final point. 
His power commands are calm. A congregation, if we continue that example of someone walking alongside someone, one of the things that you notice if you walk alongside a brother or sister in the church who is struggling is you realize just how helpless you really are. You know, you can be a good friend to them. You can sympathize with what they're going through. You can be like the friends of Job who sat on the ash heap with him in silence, just being there for them. But what you realize is you can't take their difficulties away. You, can't, you have no power to change their situation. And so is that the same way that God is present with us? That he's with us, he sympathizes with us, he sees where we're, what we're going through, but in no way has no power to change that. To put it simply, congregation, is God with you in the chaos but completely unable to change it? Because some would say so. Some would say they look around at the evil that is happening in the world and they say it must be the case. Because otherwise evil wouldn't happen. But the sons of Korah don't. You see, the last verses of Psalm 46, it's a declaration of God's sovereignty, his ultimate control over everything that happens in the world. You see, often our hearts are very anxious because we look out and we see a world that's seemingly out of control. We look into our own hearts and life it seems to be out of control. And we, and we do our little bit trying to stay sane in the midst of that. But the psalmist reminds us, reminds us of who our God is. He is the Lord who is exalted above the earth. All the schemings of the nation, all of that comes to nothing. Think of Psalm 2, the people rage, they plot in vain, and the Lord looks down in derision. He laughs them to scorn. He is the one who makes the the wars cease in his power. He executes his judgments. The exalted God, he sits victorious over all things. Verse 9, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. And then we get verse 10, where the God of all the earth, he says, be still and know that I am God. Now the wording there is actually more forceful than just be still. And it's used in in 1 Samuel 15 verse 16, when Samuel rebukes Saul. So there Saul had sinned against the Lord, and he's trying to justify himself. And then Samuel says to him, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. He says to him, enough. Listen to me, Saul. And I will tell you what the Lord says. And so here what's happening is, here is the God of all the earth. He has seen these nations who are raging. They're doing their best to have dominion over the earth. They're causing havoc and chaos. And God says, enough. Stop. I am God. I am in control. I am the one with power and authority. You can do nothing because I am God. And see, he's declaring his ultimate control. He is God. And all these nations, they're like a drop in the bucket. They're not even, they're nothingness on a scale. God is great. He is Lord. And you see there, the psalmist is commanding our calmness as well. It's a command that goes to us. The command is to stop. To stop when we're full of anxieties and worries. To stop and to look upward. To look out and see our God. To remember who is in control. Because we may look out and we see these dark clouds billowing. We see it in our own hearts. And God says, look up. Look to me. I am God. I am God of your situation." I'm God of their situation. I'm God over all things. As it says there, I am God and no creature shall separate you from my love. For all creatures are so completely in my hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. I'm in control. You see, there's nothing that comes into our lives and God says, where, does that, where did that come from? That catches God by surprise, you could say. No, he is God. And this is what allows us to be patient in adversity, to be patient in suffering. This is what gives us confidence 
when we see so much chaos in our lives, it's because God is in control, because he is upholding all things. Is the fact that he reigns supreme. And the amazing thing is, all this power that he has, the exalted God, it's for us. It's for you. It's not a, God is not against you. Brothers and sisters, God loves you. His heart beats for you. And so all his power is, is, not, is not something to fear, but rather it's something to marvel at because he is for you because of Jesus Christ. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. As, as Paul says, if God is for us, who could be against us? You see, he loves you deeply. Not only when we see times of prosperity, not only when we see the fruitfulness, when we see the rains, when we see the health, when we see the riches, but especially when we see the sickness, when we see the years of barren, the droughts, the poverty. See, those things don't come into us because God is against us, because his power is against us. No, he is for us. He loves us. You see, God governs this world through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ ascended into heaven. He has all power and authority. And he governs the world. God governs the world through his Son. The same Son who died on the cross for us. He is there at the Father's right hand, ruling this world for the sake of his church. For your sake. This is exactly what Martin Luther realized when he made his hymn. Luther... He, he has those words that says, Our striving would be losing were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. And then he asks, So who is it? Who is the, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth. It's not saying that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord Sabaoth is Lord of hosts, is he. From age to age the same, he must win the battle. You see, God rules, and he rules through his victorious son, Jesus Christ, the Lord of hosts, the King of kings. He is in control. And so, brothers and sisters, be still. Stop. And look to him who governs your life, the Lord Jesus Christ, who rules over all things. You see, as much as it's, it's hard to stop those insistent fears that whirl around in our minds. God says, be still. Know that I am God. As you sit there in bed at night with all those anxieties, God says, be still. Know that I am God. Stop and look up. Look to me who cares for you. Because it is your loving Father who rules this world through a Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who died for us. So congregation, if we think back to that photo, we think of those great clouds billowing of smoke. And if we think of the out-of-control world that threatens to consume us, we can continue tending like that farmer who's tending his garden. Not to try to stay sane because of the, a world out of control, but in stillness and in calm because of the Lord of hosts who is in control. Brothers and sisters, the Lord of hosts is with you. The God of Jacob is your fortress. Amen. Let's now sing in response hymn 53, verse 1 and 2.
Let's come before God in thanksgiving prayer. O Lord of hosts, O God of Jacob, Father, we praise you that you are in control of all things. We thank you that you are a God who is ever with us, that you are truly the Emmanuel, the God who is near us. We thank you that you are there at our side to protect us, and that in you our future is secure. Thank you for being our refuge, our shelter in the midst of the chaos of life. Lord, because of you, we need not fear. And Lord, help us not to fear. Lord, you speak and the nations melt. At your rebuke, the waters flee. At your word, the storm stills. Father, you are God. And Lord, we pray that you'd please quiet our restless hearts with this truth. Please stop those insistent fears that demand our focus. Help us to rest under the pinions, under the wings of the Almighty. For Lord, you are, you are in control over all things. And Father, we pray specifically for those who struggle very much with fear and who struggle with anxiety. Lord, it affects both young and old. And it's something that's so debilitating. It, it stops us from doing the things that we love to do. It, it immobilizes us. It steals our joy. It, it affects our relationships. And Lord, we pray that you would please have mercy on those of us who struggle in this way. That you would allay their anxieties with your protection. Lord, please show yourself to be the God who is always near. May your Godness calm their hearts. Father, help them to realize that greater is he who is in them than he that is in the world. Than is he that is in those thoughts that oppress them. For Lord, you are with them. And Lord, we pray that you would help them to rest in the promises of the gospel. And Father, we ask that you would surround them with your people who can walk alongside them, who can remind them of your goodness, who can speak of your promises to them. Father, we pray that you would be near to them, that you would be your re their refuge and their safety. And Father, we thank you that you are our refuge and our safety. Lord, all of us have very busy lives. Sometimes they are very chaotic, and we pray that you would please watch over us. Lord, that we would find rest in you. For, Lord, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you gather us together for worship. And we thank you for everyone who aids us in our worship. Lord, it's easy to, to focus on the person who leads the service. But, Father, we praise you for the gifts and service of many people who bless us in, the, in, in our worship. We thank you for the musicians who aid us in our praise, who give melody to our song, and who lifts our hearts in praise to you. We thank you for those who do the sound, who allow, who allow the word to go forth with clarity, with volume, with boldness, and who allow those who are unable to worship in our midst to worship with us online via the live stream. Father, we thank you for those who prep the building for worship, we come in this morning and we see this Lord's Supper table set up. And we come this afternoon and it's down. And Lord, we thank you for those who are busy in that. Lord, we praise you for all the work that, is go that goes on behind the scenes that allows us to worship you and allows us to have communion and fellowship with one another. Father, we praise you for all those who help to make the Sunday the day that it is. And Father, we also praise you for the work that is being done in the seminary at C CRTS. Lord, one of the things that you command us in the fourth commandment is that the, the gospel of the ministry be maintained. And Father, we pray that you'd please be with the professors. We thank you that they could round off the academic year, that the students could do all their exams. And now that some of them, as we heard this morning, are now processing calls. Father, we pray that you would please be with all of those. We thank you for an institution which sole goal is to produce ministers of the gospel. And Father, this is a prayer of the churches. For Lord, we see that the, the fields and the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so we pray that you would bless the work of the professors, bless the students that are there. May they grow in their conviction of the gospel, that they would desire to preach it to many. 
And Lord, we pray that you would also be with the young men here in our congregation as well. Lord, help them to also consider this task, to consider whether or not they have the gifts and whether they could serve in this way. And Father, may you guide them in this. And may you lead them in that, dire- in that direction if it is your will. Father, we pray that you would receive the offerings, that you would bless the offerings for this cause. And we pray that it would lead to the, uh, the, the flourishing of gospel ministry in this world. Lord, we pray that you continue to be with us in the rest of this day. Bless our fellowship as church family, whether afterwards, after the service, or after in each other's homes. Lord, please grant that we would, in this way, have a foretaste of that eternal eternal rest and the eternal fellowship where we will drink the wine new with our Savior, Jesus Christ, in heaven. Father, we bring all of this before you for the sake of Jesus Christ, who continually intercedes at your right hand and whose blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Amen. You now have an opportunity to give of your gifts. And as mentioned, the the offering this afternoon is for the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary. And then afterwards, we'll sing from hymn 54, verses 1, 2, and 3.
receive the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.